He is risen. This morning we are looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for our freedom specifically. That is a a central idea in the text we just heard read from Romans 6. Uh, Freedom in our own culture seems to represent the the idea that we should have our own desires and our own wants without restraint. I will be me, you will be you, and that will work out as long as our freedoms don't impose upon each other, which is inevitable. We have this idea of freedom that as long as everyone just does their thing, that everything will be fine, but well, freedom has to have boundaries, or let's it becomes anarchy. Freedom is never meant to be something enjoyed in itself. We want to be free so that we can actually know how to pursue what we understand as good. So how should we as Christians think about freedom this morning? It's a central idea in our passage. It's a central idea in Scripture. If we're to go back to the Old Testament, the most significant salvation event for the Old Testament is the Exodus, where God delivers Israel out of the slavery of Egypt. He delivers them not just to be free, but to worship Him. He delivers them out of the, 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 the harsh rule of Pharaoh so that he can be their king. He can be their God. And they can worship him according to his word. So we have to realize we're designed to serve. Every human being is designed to serve. Every human being actually serves someone or something. And when I use the word serve, we have to understand, serve is something you do in the temple. The the priest would serve God in the temple. Service is part of worship. This morning, it's not a matter of are we free from everything. No, it's are we seeking freedom to worship God who designed us for himself in worship. Our problem, as we need to understand this morning, is we've rejected God. We've resisted his goodness. We've we've decided that we were going to step away from his rule. We were going to eat the one thing he said not to eat. And then we became self-enslaved. This morning we're going to see two truths of the gospel. God forgives our sins. That's what's preceded up to this point in Romans 6. And God frees us most significantly. If we go back to Romans 5, we'll see the significant declaration that really summarizes freedom, or forgiveness, rather. In Romans 5.20, we see that line, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is helpful for us as Christians. If if you battle guilt, if you wrestle with a, a sense of guilt, here is the passage for you. Where our sin abounds, grace abounds. God loved us while we were sinners. God sent his son to die for us while we were sinners. We do not sin ourselves out of God's grace. He is more powerful. Where sin sin has increased, grace abounds all the more. We need to look there because that's where forgiveness is central. Notice in Romans 6 that you just heard, He begins with a question, the rhetorical continuing on with a a diatribe. He he puts the question that he thinks the audience is going to ask. What shall we say then? Or do we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
He's just said, where sin, abound, where sin increased, grace abounds. The, the logical problem would be, well, if, if grace abounds or sin abounds, should I keep on sinning? And the answer, of course, is, by no means. It's a double negative. You can get away with that in Greek, not in English. It's the most intense no. Because you're forgiven to be free. Christian, we can't hold to a forgiveness that doesn't have freedom. You're forgiven to be free. Your guilt is washed away so that you're broken away from the the chains of slavery. Forgiveness is the fuel for enjoying the freedom we have in Christ. If we're looking for a one-sentence summary, Christ sets us free from sin so that we can worship him. Christ sets us free from sin so that we can worship him. Our passage is ordered around three commands that we see in the text. Know, consider, present. Kano, no, K-N-O-W. Consider, present. If we're going to embrace and enjoy the, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, we must know why we are free, know why we are free, We must consider ourselves free, and we must practice our freedom. Let's look at the first answer to should we continue to sin? By no means, he then gives an explanation. The word know is is declared three times here. There's three different things we've got to know. We must know we're baptized, that's three to five. Know we're united with Christ, that's 6 to 8. And then know Christ has died and he is risen, that's 9 and 10. Hey, notice there's a really helpful order there. Know you're baptized into Christ. Remember back, look back to that public declaration. Know that that baptism really is only grounded in the fact that you have a real relationship with God, with Christ. And know that you have a real relationship with Christ because he died and he rose. Let's look at those three in order. We must know these things. Let's look at verse 3. And it's put in the form of a question, but he's, he's clearly presenting it as what we should know. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This is why we practice immersion, because it represents here the the dying to sin, the dying to the old self, and the the resurrection up into a new life. It's a powerful picture of what takes place. The washing away of sin, the washing away of death, Death is defeated in the death of Christ, and baptism is a picture of what happens there. Baptism is significant as the first place he points back to. No, you are baptized. This is the public profession of Christ that we're going to get to see here in just a few minutes. few minutes. Don't get too excited. Eh, 30, 45 minutes. But baptism is where, as we'll hear, Someone is going to give a public profession. I, I no longer be identified with the world and death and destruction. I want to be identified with Christ, his death, resurrection, and his church. There's a way in which there's a, a public promise and commitment that's being made in, in baptism. 
the person being baptized, the person receiving baptism is, is declaring, I no longer want to walk in this world in its destructive ways. I want to commit myself to Christ. There's also something we're doing as a church. We're receiving them. We're affirming the same gospel, the same truth you declare of Jesus Christ is the truth that we agree. Welcome to the family of Christ. There, there's, a, there's an exchange that we're actually uh, doing here. He wants to point back to that experience, that moment where we publicly declared, we publicly were recognized, Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. The way baptism is so important and powerful is what it represents. Notice in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's pointing back to that death because on the cross, that's where we have the forgiveness. In the resurrection is where we have the the new life. But, But notice there's a union with him. This is covenant language. This is actually marital language. There's a way in which Christ in his relationship with us is uniting himself with us so that all that we have is given to him and all that he has is given to us. Well, what do we give him? Our sin that's worthy of judgment. Our, our, our destructive practices. Our, our, our deciding that we're going to live our own life. All our sin is counted towards him. And what does he give us? His righteousness. His perfect life. His sinless life. What does he give us? The opportunity to now be sons of God and to call God Father. What an exchange. When we're united with Christ, this is a real relationship that has real blessings and privileges. Baptism points back to that real relationship. We have to understand, we deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. Christ died to pay the price He rose again to give us new hope. And notice how this is all tied up into freedom in verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified, that that old sinful life was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Christian, let's not get confused. Sin is still present. That's why we put off the old self. Put on the new self. The difference is the power of sin's broken. The power that enslaved us. The power that treated us as if it were our master. Forgiveness precedes freedom. God has forgiven us and he has set us free. That freedom is something that is given to us so that we would enjoy the master. Jesus is very clear. A passage you can look up later. Meditate upon. John 8, 34, these are the words of Christ. Truly, truly, I tell you that when you choose sin, it is your master. A master, a ruler, someone who has power over you. Sin is deceptive. We think we're always in control when we're choosing sin. We think we're just going to have a little taste. We're going to put it in this category. We're, we're, going to, we're going to be able to control what it is. No, Jesus tells us very clearly, when you choose sin, it becomes your master. It destroys us, corrupts us, leads us away from the good master. 
sin is this internal problem we're all aware of. Okay. I look pretty good here on Sunday. It's really easy to clean ourselves up and present ourselves for about an hour and a half, maybe four hours. We'll see how it goes. On a Sunday morning. We all know how to do that. We all know how we, we learn how to act in front of our parents or our bosses or our coworkers. We know how to act like everything's okay and we're, 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 we're not as sinful as we know we are inside. Let's just be honest. If we were just to think the, 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 the things that have popped in our heads this morning were put up on display for everybody, we'd run in shame, Right? We realize there's things that, that, that are constantly in our hearts and our minds. We'd be terrified if people knew what we thought or the things that come into our minds. Sin is always present. It, it can't be controlled at the end of the day. The anger that comes out, the lust that corrupts us, the selfishness. We know sin when we realize it demands so much of us and satisfies so little. We know it's sin when we see how much it demands of us and how little it truly satisfies. It's not an outside problem. It's an inside problem. Here's the encouragement for us. God knows our sin even more than we do, and yet he still sent his son to die for us. God knows our sin even more than we do, and he still declared his love and promise to us. We need help from outside to cure the problem Inside, this is why God sent Jesus to us. So we we have baptism, that public declaration, that that ceremony. Then we have that real relationship where our sin is put on Christ. Christ gives us his righteousness. And notice how it's all grounded, verses 9 and 10, in what actually happened. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. Notice his destruction of death, his destroying of the dominion of death is why we no longer under the dominion of sin and death. But he's grounding all this in what Jesus did. On Friday, Christ was crucified. He said, it is finished. The earth quaked. The temple curtain torn in two. On Sunday, they didn't find his body because he was risen. If we found the bones of Jesus Christ, we would realize we're all to be pitied. It must be grounded in the historical facts, the historical actions of God of coming down to us and saving us. This is what we must believe. Christ died for sinners. He rose again for sinners. Verse 9, we know, we know that he rose from the dead. Okay, we could be some doubting Thomases. We could say, I really want some more evidence. Remember what Jesus said. Blessed are those who hear and believe. The good news this morning, if he is risen, he's conquered death. If he is risen, he's the promised Messiah. If he's risen, he's died for our sin. If he's risen, he's given us forgiveness of sin. If he's risen, he's given us freedom from sin. The question I want to ask everyone, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? 
Maybe we can actually break that out a little bit further. What do you believe about Jesus? Everyone here believes something about Jesus. You're in a church on Sunday morning. What is it you actually believe about Jesus? Let's just walk through some questions to see how far we might get in believing in Jesus. First question. Was Jesus a good man? Was Jesus a good man? Second, was Jesus a wise and great teacher? Was Jesus a wise and great teacher? Third question, was Jesus a perfect man? Unlike us, we have sin, all of us. Was he sinless? Fourth question, did Jesus die on a cross? That's just asking historically, Did that happen? Did Pilate condemn him to death after being falsely accused? Did he die on the cross? The more significant question, did he die on the cross to forgive us of our sins? Did he die on the cross so that we might have our sins forgiven? Sixth question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus, rise from the dead. Last question, will he come again and bring justice and peace perfectly? I ask, at what point might you have stopped saying yes? It's important for you to think about your own self and how you understand Jesus and how you would relate to him. At what point did you stop saying yes? Or what point would you say, I don't know, I have questions about that. This is a serious issue. You should understand who Jesus is. We want nothing more for you to know who Jesus is and to believe that you could actually say yes to all those, those questions. If you stopped at some point and just said no or I don't know, please don't leave here without talking to somebody about where you stopped and why. The most significant question, is Jesus God's son who came to save us from our sin? Because if you actually see a sin problem, what other solution is there? Jesus, our creator, came to be our savior. That's complicated. It's not so far of a grasp. God has made himself known so clearly, but it is is a wonderful thing to think about. God who created the men who would falsely accuse him. Jesus Christ sustained with life the very men who would falsely accuse him, even nail him to the cross and mock him. Jesus Christ, the creator, formed the tree he would be hanged upon to be a curse for us. Jesus Christ created the mountain that he would be buried in after his death. Jesus Christ is the one who died. And as we see him as a creator, we, 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 can, we can stand back in amazement. It turned to darkness in the middle of the day? The, the earth quaked? Is that the earth grieving the, 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 the death of its creator? Or is that the earth protesting against us for our sin? Either way, it's amazing that our creator, who we rebelled against, he came to die and to rise again so that we would believe in him and be saved. Do you believe? We must know who Jesus is. The Savior who died for sinners. The Savior who rose for sinners. 
The second commandment is just one verse. The second point here, consider. Verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. We, we seem to be making a transition to a second point, And I think this second point, this second step, is why so many Christians do not actually enjoy the Christian life. We know, and we'll be able to say, yes, I can check off all those seven questions you just said. I could say, yes, I know these things are true. And then I really tried to do all the morality. I tried to do the things, present myself to righteousness. But the, the second step is when we, we quickly overlook. I, I think it's central to actually enjoying the Christian life. Consider yourself sin. Don't just know Christ died for your sin and Christ rose from, the, from, from your sin for your sin. No, it's it's considering yourself dead. There, there's a it, it's a, it's an accounting term. You're, you're 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 counting yourself differently. You're considering it. You're reckoning it. We all have personal truth. Let's just stand back and appreciate Oprah's right about that. We all have personal truth. We all have our truth. Every single person has some idea that is their own personal truth. We all embrace this is truth, and it's your truth. The key key question we're asking this morning, does your truth align with true truth? Is the way we actually feel and believe aligning with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we considering and reckoning in such a way that we would recalculate, be willing to deny everything that goes against the true truth. When we get lost, that wonderful GPS says recalculating. This is what the Christian life is over and over again. Recalculating. Recalculating the decisions I'm making, the priorities I'm making, the, the ways in which I'm presenting myself. Recalculating over and over again. Am I counting myself dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ? Am I seeing myself as truly forgiven? And now when I'm tempted, I can say no, knowing, considering yourself. I don't have to obey that sin anymore. I am alive in Christ. I'm going to tell you now what you'll hear in every self-help book or find every, in every self-help book ever written. You've got to stop listening to yourself. You've got to talk to yourself. That's true. The key question is, what are you telling yourself? What, what kind of truth are we going to take and start putting into the new code we're writing, the new code we're telling ourselves? What are we going to start telling ourselves? Is the truth that Christ, His grace abounds where sin abounds? We can have assurance we're forgiven? Are we going to tell ourselves, no, that sin that has been so entangling, I can say no to it, I can be free from it? We must know how to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves, yes, Christ died, and I now, united with him, am dead to sin and his power. Yes, it's going to bark orders, but I know that Christ's declaration and word is more powerful. We are alive in him. One of the most painful things to watch is a brother who gets bogged down in the dominion of darkness. They've been set free by Christ's death. They've been set free in the resurrection. They would be able to confess because they know those seven things, but you see them regularly entangled. They, they embrace sin, and there's a handful of reasons why. One, they might deny that that sin is really all that dangerous. They, they might not 
recognize that, that Christ's power is greater than that sin? They might not even know. If we just present you're forgiven, now start doing the right thing, not, not knowing all the benefits and blessings of being in Christ. Can you imagine? This is painful to watch. Someone who has been set free and yet chooses to remain enslaved to sin, either out of uh, choosing not to know or choosing not to practice it. We can go back in our own country. 1866, human beings who had been enslaved, they've been declared free. War's over. It's amazing how many did not know. They weren't told they were free. Some, after hearing it, had a hard time believing they could actually be free. They had a hard time fathoming what that would even mean and how that could happen because slavery was all they ever knew. And some, out of fear of what anything else might look like, hung on to living as slaves because they didn't know how to do anything different. It's amazing. Wouldn't we want to come alongside these image bearers and just walk step by step, helping them learn how to know they're free, to walk in that freedom, to help them enjoy that freedom? This is the same thing we, we do as a church. This is why the church exists. So we would have other people who would help us know how to step out of that fear, out of the enslavement, into the forgiveness of Christ, into obedience. This is what we do. We walk alongside, teaching each other, helping each other, reminding each other. It really is amazing as we think about the patterns we create. If we've learned to make sin, our master, in just pure obedience, even when its power is broken, we learn and keep those same habits. We learn to answer and to obey when it barks orders. This is why we remind ourselves, we remind each other, we are free. Consider, reckon, recalculate constantly the truth that Christ died for you and you are free. The last thing we see from verses 12 to 14, it requires practice. I want to be careful. We're not just going to say we know these things and we do them. No, as we know them and we consider these things true for ourselves, we then need to practice. All these things are, all, are taking place uh, fully. A, a mind transformed, a heart transformed, a, a lifestyle transformed. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Simply put. Practice your freedom. Practice your freedom from saying no to sin and and yes to Christ. Practice your freedom. Learn to break the pattern of saying no to Christ. That's what's terrifying. That's how we can so easily get into a pattern of saying no to Christ who set us free because we don't consider ourselves free. Sin is is scary strong, but Christ is stronger. 
What are we practicing? Where are we making ourselves present? What are we giving our time, energy, efforts towards? Are they things that build up righteousness? Are they things that return us to old patterns and sin? Present your members to righteousness. The key here is what do you prioritize? What are we seeking to practice? It's pretty amazing we think about what's set before us in this freedom. Again, we're not free to be free for the sake of being free. We're, we're, we're free from sin so we can pursue God. The, the temple curtain was torn in two on Good Friday. So significant. Access to seeing the face of God. Access to beholding the glory of God. Access to enjoying the love of God. All of these things have been made available to those who believe. All of these things are ours who believe. What are we doing instead? It'd be like if you had a big Easter feast tonight and you were invited over and the host set before you all the things of Easter, bacon-wrapped scallops, those things we get to enjoy now. And you decided, I think I'll just go scrunch around in the trash can and see what they have in there. That, that, that doesn't even come close to a real analogy of how disgusting it is that we would still continue to pursue sin instead of the glorious love of God. We now are free to enjoy. What are we presenting ourselves to? Who are we becoming? Christ, he died for us. He rose again for us. This is the final declaration of victory. He has come to set us free. We must know Christ has set us free. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. We must present ourselves to practice his truth. He is risen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word, that you help us to see our sin, even beyond how deceptive it is, that the way we even lie to ourselves about our sin, Lord, I pray you would bless us to see our sin more clearly so that we would see the gospel in all of its power, so we would see our need for the death of Christ. We would see our need for his resurrection and that we would long to walk in it, that we would see he has been risen so that we can walk in the newness of life. Forgive us for still wanting to walk in our old ways. Help us, Lord, to know how to consider ourselves, to recount ourselves, to recalculate our lives, to know you and enjoy you and all the blessings that we now have in your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing our song of response in Christ alone.